All right, well, I've got a little experiment I want to do to conclude our service today, and it's, it'll take uh, pretty much the entire message, so we'll start it now and kind of come back. I got these little capsules because, you know, you can get anything on Amazon, and I think these are cool. <laughs> so, and uh, what they are, I'm not going to let you see the package, but you've seen these before probably, right? Uh, uh, they, you put them in water and they turn into something. So it has to be warm water. I'm thinking, hope, hoping my water's still warm here. So we're going to fill up our glass and we'll start our experiment and then we'll just kind of see what happens. Take just a minute here. It is still warm, so we're in good shape. And I didn't anticipate how long it would take to fill up a glass, but you know, <laughs> y'all are free to talk amongst yourselves. All right. There we go. Wasn't too bad. All right, so I got a few capsules. We'll try a couple, and then we'll come back um, and see what they turn into. My kids have been having a blast with these this week, by the way. All right, so we leave them there. They're going to soak just a little bit. takes a little bit of time, so we're going to cover them up because I don't want y'all paying attention to this instead of me during the message, all right? I know, I know. Party pooper. But we do... This, there's, a, there's a purpose there, as you can imagine. We'll come back. I uh, may, may or may not have something to do with patience, but I'll let you kind of soak that in for a minute. Uh, we're talking about self-control this week as we finish our series uh, that's taken a lot longer than I anticipated because of unforeseen things. But we finish our series on the fruit of the Spirit, uh, fruit gushers. And the theme of our series, if you will remember, is that the fruit of the Spirit flows in us by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit and flows out of us for the advancement of the gospel and for the glory of God. That's the idea. That's the goal is that God cultivates this fruit in us, the Holy Spirit's presence. He does the cultivating, but we also have a part, right? We can't just expect to sit back and do nothing. God wants us to do our part in cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. He does the, the work of, of making it possible and cultivating, but we also practice spiritual disciplines um, and we, we submit to him daily. The key in our part of it is abiding in Christ, and that's what we want to do. So we look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 for the last time in this series. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, or faithfulness, gentleness, and we come to self-control this week. Against such things there is no law. So we need to practice self-control in our lives. There's a need for that. And the reason, one of the reasons we see in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, says a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Now, if you remember the study of Nehemiah really in, uh, reinforced this or teaches the importance of walls for a city in biblical times. And this day and time, your security was your walls. And so they provided protections. It was a city's main defense. How good your walls, how thick, how tall, uh, that was your city's main defense. And in a similar sense, for us, self-control is our wall of defense against sinful desires that wage war within us. It's our wall. Uh, self-control is the flavor of fruit 
that God gives us by his power, by his strength to help us guard against those things governing our sinful desires, governing one's own desires. That's a way to define self-control, the ability to govern your desires, staying within bounds. There's a great study called guardrails, and the the idea talks about how God sets up guardrails in his word so that we'll stay within the bounds because guardrails are there to protect you on the road, right? So you won't drive off a cliff. Well, the same is true. God sets boundaries for us, and it takes self-control for us to stay within those bounds, and and that's what this flavor of fruit does for us. Uh, We have a tendency to overindulge especially in our culture, in our society. We like a lot of whatever we like. And so there's a tendency to overindulge our appetites, our desires, so we need to control our thoughts, desires, emotions, and speech. And we're going to touch on those this morning. Let's look at at, uh, James 1.14. James says this, he says, But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Talked about how the flesh, we wage, it's waging war within us. We still have those fleshly desires. And we're tempted when we are drawn away from God and toward those desires. First, first Peter 2.11, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that wage war against you. And then in Ephesians 4.22, Paul says, you took off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. So as believers, we have a new life in Christ, right? We're created, a new creation in Christ, but we still battle the flesh because we're not perfect. We still sin and those desires are still within us. It's just now as believers, we have the power to overcome those temptations and those desires. Uh, But we don't always do that, do we? We fall to temptation, and that's what these verses are talking about, being on guard, being aware, because those things still exist, and we're going to, it's a war going on within us, and, and external temptations find their ally within our hearts, those desires that still exist. Luke nine twenty three, Jesus says, uh, if anyone wants to come after me or follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. Luke adds daily. Uh, and follow me, which means this is a daily struggle, right? We submit to the Lord in salvation. We're going to do a three-week series on what this means starting next week, the 923 call. But it means that we submit in salvation. We surrender our lives, but we still have to surrender each day. It's not getting saved over and over again, but there's surrender involved. You know, the NIV uses uh, self-control to translate two different words. Uh, and, and one of them we see here in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And the one in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 carries the idea, it refers primarily to moderation of, of uh, moderation or temperance and the gratification of our desires and appetites. It's literally inner strength. It's the ability, um, uh, the, care, the strength of character that enables us to control our passions and our desires. That's, that's the idea. But there's another time where the NIV, for example, translates self-control, and it, and it deals with this. It denotes soundness of mind or sound judgment. Other translations use the word sober or sensible, and it's, it refers to judgment, sound judgment that allows me to determine 
what to do and what not to do. So both of those ideas are really are, are included in the flavor of fruit that is self-control. It's the sound judgment, the ability to determine what's right and wrong based on the knowledge of God that he gives me of his word. But then there's this, this will, this idea, the ability to control my desires to do what's right and to avoid doing what's wrong. So both are included in here. Self-control is the exercise of inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables us to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. It's both of those things together. And so with that in mind, we're going to look this morning at three areas where we need to practice self-control, and in doing that, we will honor God in these areas. First is this, we need to honor God with our bodies. Self-control involves honoring God with your body. God created us to enjoy things, to take pleasure from things, We see that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. The Lord God calls to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden. Pleasing in appearance, good for food. Two different senses that are pleased by God's creation here, right? As well as the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So the trees of his creation were not only good for food, there's pleasure there, a need is met, but they're also pleasing to the eye. So God intends that we take pleasure from his creation. Pleasure is a gift given to us by God. 1 Timothy 6, 17, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Enjoying things is not bad. God intends that we enjoy things Self-control is how we keep that in moderation. Again, our problem tends to be excess. It's when we allow those things to get out of control. We have given, been given things by God to enjoy. We have to practice self-control to, to practice moderation. And, and it's how we keep things that are permissible uh, from becoming our masters. Because that's what tends to happen. Things that, that we are especially tempted by are things that we enjoy, we tend to indulge, and then they, bec- they get, begin to control us. And that's when it becomes sin. That's when it becomes a problem outside of bounds. We've gone out of bounds. We've jumped the guardrail. And there's danger ahead. In the book of Titus, Paul frequently refers to the grace of self-control. Why did he do this? Well, look at Titus chapter 1, verse 12. One of their very own prophets says, he's speaking to the Cretans, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. That's a pretty harsh indictment, right? But I think we need to kind of look at that and see if maybe we need a little self-control in some of these areas ourselves. You're not going to fall into all these categories, but we do need to practice self-control. They, these, the Cretans desperately needed self-control. And we all need to practice self-control. Gluttony is one thing Paul mentioned, overindulging in food that God graciously provides. Excess, again, is the problem. We need to remember that even our eating and drinking should be done to the glory of God, right? Um, He talks about laziness. What about laziness? Well, in our society, most people are going to say, we're not lazy. We work crazy hours. We keep our houses up. Uh, 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 ship shape. We keep our lawns cut. We run, run, run. We're running all the time. So can we really say that laziness is a problem in our culture? Of course, there's always going to be lazy people, but overall, most of you work hard. You take care of your families. I mean, is laziness really a problem? Well, let me look at it from a different, let's look at it from a little different perspective. What, What about when it comes to our time alone with God? 
You know, our schedules are busy. What about the time that we spend, that we set aside compared to all the other time we spend doing all the other things? What about that time alone with God? Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. We see this about Jesus. Very early, we see this repeated frequently, but Mark chapter 1, it's, it's a unique context here. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, he went out, he made his way to, the, to a deserted place, and he was praying there. Now, first of all, Getting up while it's still dark is hard enough, all right? And, but if you look at the, the, uh, the context here and what happened the night before, it makes it even more amazing that Jesus was doing this. Mark tells us that after sunset, people brought all these sick for healing, and this went on for a long time. They gathered at the door, the whole town, in fact, but, and Jesus he tended to them. He ministered to them. Now, no one would have criticized him had he slept in the next day, right? But what does he do? He gets up while it's still dark, and he goes to have time alone with the Father. It was so important to him, time alone with the Father, that he got up before daylight. He disciplined his physical body to make that a priority, to make sure that nothing came in, in place of that. Nothing interfered with that. That's how important it was. Now, a lot of Christians need this discipline and self-control. We all do. We all need to practice self-control in this area um, where we don't sacrifice time that belongs to God, that we dedicate to Him for the busyness of life, because the truth is we're great at filling our schedules, and we are a busy society. And you know, we've talked, one of the things that we loved about being in Ecuador is they were more laid back. They weren't as tight to a schedule. They valued social time and they valued rest even. Where we're running from one thing to the next, it was refreshing, as a matter of fact. We fill our schedules, but we do it at times at the expense of time with the Lord. Uh, and, and a lot of folks fall in that. On the other end are Christians who've learned self-control and getting up in the morning, but the, they, they haven't learned self-control and taking care of their bodies. They, they, they run, 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 and they're not resting. You know, you can, you can do so much. Uh, how about laziness? How about the opposite of that? You know, we don't, honor, we don't practice self-control when we fill our schedules with so much stuff that we're not taking time with our families, that we're not taking time to rest and relax, and we end up doing ourselves harm, harming the temple of God. And so there's, there's both extremes. There's the person that, that, that neglects his body because he doesn't do any exercise or doesn't eat right or doesn't do the things that he should, doesn't work, doesn't do all of the things. There's laziness from that perspective. But then there's the opposite of that where I think applies here, self-control and managing my time to the point where I don't sacrifice time with God and I don't sacrifice the health of my body. But we also come to another major issue in our society. And listen, I'm going to go ahead and warn you, this is a little PG-13, okay? But I'm going to handle it very carefully. The issue of sexuality in our society is uh, we are unhinged Amen. in our society. Um, and God's standard is very clear when it comes to anything outside of the bounds of marriage. Um, it's off limits. God's standard for sexual self-control is absolute abstinence outside the marriage relationship. The problem is, is that our society screams the opposite of this standard at the top of its lungs. Everywhere we look, everything we see. And so we, as, a, as God's people, as believers, probably more than when the church came out of paganism, when it started, uh, never before have we had such a need from that time possibly 
to practice self-control in the body of Christ because this isn't just a problem outside the church. There's too much access. There's too much that we, too many opportunities to allow things into our life that will cause us to move away from God's standard. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage must be respected by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge immoral people and adulterers. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality so that each of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not with lustful desires like the Gentiles who don't know God. Again, the problem is culture is the opposite of this, but we need to realize that God's boundary for sexuality is for our own good, the damage that is caused, the opportunities that we have to take in things that harm the marriage relationship, that harm ourselves mentally and physically, spiritually. It's everywhere. It is good. Sexuality is good and beautiful inside the marriage relationship of husband and wife, man and woman. Anything outside that. In love, listen, anything outside of that is harmful and destructive. And I've seen it time and time and time again as a pastor. Um, families, couples sitting in my office, their marriage is a wreck because of pornography or because of infidelity or, or any number of things um, that, that have compromised that marriage relationship. And, uh, and we see it everywhere. God's people need to exercise self-control. And by the way, if they're in my office, they're probably a part of the family of God. There are exceptions So my point there is that this, again, isn't a problem outside the church. This is a problem inside the church as well. And so God's people need to exercise self-control, not only in the area of sexual activity, but also in the area of impure thoughts, lustful looks, suggestive speech. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 28, but I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. A lustful look. The reason this is a problem is because a lustful look quickly becomes an impure thought, which leads to our next area. We need to practice self-control, and that's in the area of our thoughts. And, and this is probably, you know, people see what you do on the outside, right? But only God sees what's in our minds. And so we think we can get away with things in our minds, but it's not true. Now, I want to take a look. I'm not going to let you see it yet, but I just want to check in here. It's taking time, but there, you know. It's working. I have no idea what they are yet, but it's working. All right, so I'll let you. It's taking some time, taking some patience, a little self-control for some of you not to come rip the towel off, right, to see what it is. It takes time. We need to practice self-control in all of our lives, and that includes the area of our thoughts. Look at 2 Corinthians 10.5. We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to obedience the obedience of Christ. The immediate context here, Paul's talking about the thoughts of opponents at Corinth, but the truth is we need to take every thought captive for the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us, all of his people need to do this, right? Self-control means we only, not only do we avoid thoughts that are bad, we only allow ourselves to dwell on things that are good and pleasing to God. A good guideline for this is Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's any praise, dwell on these things. So we need to dwell. This is more than just refusing to to allow thoughts, uh, sexual uh, impurity, thoughts, um, greed, envy, 
jealousy. It's, it's more than just refusing those things, and it's intentionally focusing on things that are pleasing to God. Solomon warns us in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. And the term heart generally refers to the entire consciousness of a person. It's my mind. It's my thoughts. It's my will. It's, it's all of that. It's, it's my understanding, my emotions. And so guard your heart doesn't just mean the physical heart. It doesn't just mean your mind. It's the whole person, really. It is who you are, your emotions, your thoughts. It is everything. So we have to guard that because Satan will attack those things. Our thought life the reality is every action begins with a thought. That's why this is so important. People don't just do things. They think about it before they do them. It's not universally true. People do act before they think, and they usually get into trouble. But a habitual sin doesn't just begin overnight, right? It begins with a thought. Sinful desires plant their roots in our thoughts and entice us into sin, People seldomly fall into sinful things like an affair or, or, or you know, se- you know, robbing a bank or, or addiction. It doesn't just happen overnight. It usually begins, for instance, anything outside the, bo- the, the bond of marriage, the bounds of marriage, sexual relationships, it usually begins with a thought, you know, lust in the heart. You know, a look that lingers too long. It usually begins there. Our thought life is our first line of defense in the battle of self-control. And so we have to take every thought captive. We have to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a reality that we all need to take heed of. The gateway to our thoughts are our eyes and ears. What we watch, what we hear, and what we read determines what we think. Now, we do have thoughts based on memories, but every thought begins somehow with something coming in through the eyes and the ears, the senses. Guarding our hearts begins with guarding our eyes. And that means avoiding television shows, internet sites, books that implant those thoughts into our minds that are going to cause us to be tempted. Unfortunately, there are too many options in our society to take in those thoughts, those things. They're everywhere, and it's a battle for the believer to submit to the Lord and to take in. It's a battle to focus only on good things because all you got to do is walk outside and bam, you're hit with a sign that you didn't, you didn't turn on the TV. There's a sign there with something on there that, that implants a thought in your mind. So it's, it is constantly battling in the flesh, battling the flesh. It's, you know, Satan has a foothold in our lives in many areas. Unfortunately, there, there are many avenues and pornography is one of those things. He's got a foothold in the lives of men, and guess what? Women, too. And it's destroying families. It's destroying lives. We allow things in our mind that we wouldn't and allow in our actions because we think nobody else sees it. It's not doing any harm, but the truth is God sees it. Psalm 139, 2 through 4, you know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. He knows every thought in my mind. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. We as believers should control our thoughts, not because of what others think, but because of what God thinks. And he sees it all. He knows it all. He knows everything. Our prayer should be the same as David's in Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, my thoughts, my emotions, everything, may the meditation of my heart 
be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I've got good news, though. This seems like a difficult, maybe even impossible task, right? Again, all you got to do is walk outside, and you're going to be hit with something before the day's over with. It's going to create a thought in your mind that's not pleasing to God. But the good news is, is that God wants to help us do this. Now, we use sunglasses in an illustration. I brought my sunglasses with me. What do we use sunglasses for? Keep the sun out, right? Block harmful UV rays, right? Um, to, to keep glare so that we can actually see. And they, you know, make you look pretty cool, right? <laughs> Gracie is not responding at all. Do you not think I... Don't look at me like that. But we use them. These are actually uh, polarized, so they, they do a great job of blocking UV rays. I can tell the difference when I use, like, the dollar store brand, right? You know, because they don't always block. And, you know, we don't want to walk around like this. We want to be able to see. But it, they protect us from things, some from harmful, harmful things. UV rays can be harmful to your eyesight. So they protect us. And, you know, again, you know, if you get the right pair, they make you look kind of cool. So <laughs> it's debatable. But, uh, but the, the same is true. You know, God, what we see isn't just visual. Our eyes, you know, it's not all about, um, you know, what we take in, you know, in terms of, 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 of you know, blocking UV rays and things like that. Glare is not all that we see. We see lots of things, right? We see um, harmful things. We see good things. But just like these sunglasses protect us from those harmful things, visually, in terms of glare, UV, that sort of thing, God's presence in our life, he provides us with protection over the things, the other things that we may see. See, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that gives us protection. It is God working in and through us. We desperately need his help, don't we? We can't do this on our own. You know, a pair of Ray-Bans is not going to be enough. I mean, they may do some and they may look okay, but there's other things that I still can see. I mean, the UV rays, yeah, that's blocked out, but I can see a lot of other things. And so I need the Holy Spirit's presence to work in and through me. Otherwise, I'm never going to make it. And there are going to be thoughts that, that, that I take in that I can't control that are going to end up controlling me. If I don't have the Holy Spirit working in and through me, I'll indulge those thoughts. We need the Holy Spirit to work in us, Psalm 5110, to create in us clean hearts, David prays, and to fill us with clean thoughts and desires. We need the Holy Spirit working in us to do that, to take all those nasty thoughts and, and remove them, to, to turn those over to the Lord and, and him replace those nasty thoughts with clean thoughts, clean desires that honor God and please him. The good news is, is he's willing to help us, but we have to be willing to submit to him. And a little side note here, part of the reason this is so important is because what we think determines what we say. And if our thoughts are impure, if we're not dwelling on godly things, what we say is going to be harmful and damaging to the people that we love, to the people that we care about, or just plain dishonoring to God, the words that come out of our mouths. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said this to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers, how can you, how, how can you speak good things when you're evil? From the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. We got to be careful what we put in here because it's eventually going to come out here. And that's one of the reasons this is so vitally important. We need self-control in the area of thoughts and we need self-control. We need to honor God with our emotions. We need to honor God with our emotions. Now, the emotions that need to be controlled, probably not limited to, but include anger and rage, resentment, self-pity, 
bitterness, you know, explosive things like an uncontrolled temper, things that simmer like, like bitterness, self-pity, things like that. They fall into really those two categories. You know, an uncontrolled temper is, is a contradiction in the life of a believer who wants to display the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, you know, it, it, you know when we explode, and the reason it's so very dangerous and so very harmful is, yes, it harms me and my relationship to God, and not being able to control that, but it also harms other people, right? Whoever's the recipient of my outburst. And so it, it causes harm to others. Um, and so those things, uh, you know, uncontrolled temper. Now, you may have a temperament, and some people struggle with temper, and that having a temperament where you struggle with that, that doesn't make you sinful. Lacking the ability to control that by the power of God does make it sinful. I mean, you may have a temperament. You may, this may be something you struggle with, just like somebody else struggles with temptation in another area. Uh, but, but the ability to control it is in the power of God in your life, the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit cultivating this in your life. And so even if you have a, a temperament, the follower of Christ learns to control this tem- tendency. Pro- Solomon said this in Proverbs sixteen thirty one: patience is better than power and controlling one's temper than capturing a city. Again, having a temper that requires controlling is not the mark of ungodliness, but failing to do it is succeeding by God's grace. And controlling an unruly temper demonstrates godly self-control. We need self-control in this area. But there are other emotions that can be even more harmful to us. They may not harm others, but they, they destroy us from the inside out. Resentment, bitterness, self-pity, and these can be destructive more destructive in ourselves and our relationship to God if left unchecked, unconfessed. A controlled temper is soon dissipated on others, but resentment, bitterness, and self-pity build up inside our hearts, and they eat away at our spiritual lives like a slowly spreading cancer. It's being eaten up from the inside out. All of these destructive emotions are rooted in selfishness. They put my own pride and my own self-centeredness on the throne of my heart, and it becomes my idol to where these other emotions take root and they grow. Bitterness, resentment, these things grow and they, they, they consume us. We know in our minds that God works out all things for good, but by choosing to indulge in these emotions, what we're saying is, is that we don't really believe that, that even the bad things that happen to us, that we don't believe that God can use that for our ultimate good and to draw us closer to him and to use us for his kingdom purposes. We may say it with our mouths, but by obsessing over these things and allowing these things to fester, we're denying that. We have to subdue our sinful emotions. We need to deal. We need to choose to think about things that are pleasing to God and to refuse to think about things that are dishonoring to God. We need to deal with them when they first appear. Uh, You know, whenever these thoughts, whatever emotions, thoughts, you know, temptations first enter our mind, we need to deal with them immediately and confess them and, and turn our hearts and our minds to God and his word and dwell on things that, that he says are good and pleasing and perfect to him. But this, as with all of the flavors of fruit, is an ongoing process. It is something that takes time. It is something that takes commitment. It is something that takes patience. Self-control is certainly in that category. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for, right? Y'all are going to be disappointed. It's not, you know, <laughs> they're pretty cool. I like them, you know. But our capsule, one, I'm still struggling just a little bit here, but we've got here 
what appears to be, I have no idea what that is. Here, I've got my little cheat sheet with me, so let's see. Because <laughs> I don't know, maybe you guys can tell me what that looks like. It looks like a cross between a rhinoceros and an alligator. I don't know. <laughs> I believe it's a rhinoceros, though. It could be possibly a hippopotamus, but they're kind of small. But there's these little sponge things, right? I told you they're on Amazon, you know. It's like 10 bucks for 12 packs. I don't know. But, but the cool thing about it, you know, they, they sit in the warm water, the capsules dissolve, and you've got these little animals. Now, this one I know, they are a selfish animal, but they are giraffes. Andy Griffith fans will get that. It's a giraffe. I got a blue giraffe, as a matter of fact, and this one is just being stubborn. I don't know what this is, but we're going to help it along. All right, there we go. <laughs> Grace, do you have any idea? This, I think, is, I have no idea what this is. Let's see here. This would probably actually be the rhinoceros, which means this is our friendly hippopotamus. All right. I hope y'all are enjoying yourselves. I am. I'm having a blast up here. The horn is still kind of messed up. So we got their little animals. I mean, they, they, but it takes, one thing I realized when I did this, practicing at home is, boy, it's going to take a while because those capsules dissolve slowly. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to sit them in there and just do what I did. It takes time. It takes patience. Again, the kids have been playing, Eli and Annie have been playing with these things since I got them the other day. And they'll drop them in the glass, and they'll go play for a little while, and they come back. But, you know, you can determine whether the payoff was worth it or not. But there's no denying the fact that it took patience, right? Um, and that's, that's all of these flavors of fruit, self-control certainly, but all of these flavors of fruit, it takes time and it takes patience. You're not going to master all these things overnight, okay? And I, like I've said before, as we've gone through this journey, I know you, I know I have identified several areas where I've struggled in the past, struggle now. We're all a work in progress. And, and, and it takes daily submission, which leads perfectly into the series we're going to start next week. It's taking up our cross daily, submitting and surrendering daily to God's plan for my life. Again, we're a work in progress. We've got to strive each day. It takes time and patience. I want to remind you of the theme of our series, the battle for self-control as well as cultivating these other fruits is different for all of us. But there's one thing that's for sure, and that's that the fruit of the Spirit flows in us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have these flavors of fruit. This fruit is not going to exist in your life without the Holy Spirit's presence. You've got to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and begin that relationship, and he'll begin cultivating that fruit. And as long as you abide in him, that will continue. It flows in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, presence of the Holy Spirit, and then it should flow out of us for the advancement of the gospel, the glory of God. It's for my own good as I become more like Christ and grow closer to him, but it's also for the good of his kingdom and his glory. As other people experience this fruit in my life, God uses that to point people to him, to draw people to him. I'm an instrument that he uses for the advancement of his kingdom. So we do this by submitting to the Holy Spirit, daily surrendering, abiding in Christ, praying intentionally for growth and about the areas, letting the Holy Spirit reveal to us areas where we need to grow. As he communicates through us through the still small voice and through his word, praying about growth, meditating on God's word, living my life as a sacrifice of worship to him, as a sacrifice daily for him, not for me, not for anyone else, but for him. 
Maintaining fellowship with God, letting the Holy Spirit cultivate, not letting anything interfere with the Holy Spirit's work in my life, doing my part in practicing spiritual disciplines, living out my faith daily as I live in obedience to Him, living faithfully the life He's called me to. And then when I fail, which we all will, you're going to fail. I'm not trying to, you know, know, depress you or defeat you before you started. But the fact is we're imperfect. We're battling the flesh. We're going to fail. But when we do, we take that thought captive. We take that action captive by surrendering to the Lord Jesus in repentance and, and, and asking for forgiveness. And what he does is he picks us up and he restores us. And we don't even have to return to that if we submit to him daily. When we fail, we allow him to restore us. But here's what's going to happen. By his grace, by his power, by his strength, his presence in my life, I will cultivate the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit will flow in me by the presence of God, and it will flow out for the advancement of the gospel and for his glory. Daily submission that begins by submitting, surrendering for the first time, and receiving salvation. So that's where we begin today. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you want this fruit in your life? It starts there. Accepting Christ as Lord. Surrendering your life to him. And then as a believer, surrendering daily. Accepting his power, living by his power and strength, not your own. And allowing him to cultivate, doing your part in abiding, allowing him to cultivate. And if you do, your life, my life, will glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and advance his kingdom. And that's what we're still here for, by the way. Even in the midst of a world of chaos and a world of hurt and a world of uncertainty, one thing is still clear, and that's that you and I are to advance his kingdom and to glorify his name in all that we do. That's still our purpose, and that's our desire. Let's take a few minutes and go before the Lord in prayer as we allow him to search our hearts as we close out this series together. What is it that God wants to do in your life to further cultivate this fruit? What area have you identified or areas have you identified that you are struggling with? It can be multiple areas. It could be various things. It could be one thing that just, when I, when I hit that week, boy, you were dreading it because you knew this was something that you were struggling with. Just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart in this moment. And if you don't know Christ, let me encourage you. He is waiting to receive you and to offer you forgiveness and freedom that you cannot find anywhere else in a relationship with him. Father, thank you for accepting us. You don't accept us and justify what we do. You don't compromise and ignore our sin. You accept us where we are and you take us and you clean us. You, you clean us of sin by the power of your blood, by your sacrifice, your resurrection. You give us new life. You make us a new creation. But, Lord, we battle the flesh every day. It is still very real, the temptation that we face. And, Lord, we have to submit to you and live in your power and your strength, which requires giving up ourselves, denying ourselves, and submitting to you and living for you, taking up our cross, dying to self daily, and living the life that you have for us in your power and your strength. And we're going to struggle from time to time, Lord. And, and when we do, I pray that we would come to you in repentance and humility and receive the forgiveness that you offer. Lord, I pray that, that you would continue to cultivate the fruit as you will be faithful to do as long as we continue to abide in you. Lord, I just pray that we would respond in this moment, in this time. 
in a way that honors you, that pleases you. Whatever you would have us to do, however you would have us to respond, may we do it in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for our time of decision?